This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hello, everyone. I'm Allison Gavilets, a bookseller at Barnes & Noble. Today, I am talking with the wonderful Sarah Addison Allen, the author of Other Birds, which is the Barnes & Noble September book club pick. Sarah, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. I have to tell you, I was new to you as an author before I read this book, and then I went back and read a few more, and I loved them, and I'm just so thrilled that you're here talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so it had been a while since you had written a book, and here you are. What was it, seven years later? It's, it's seven years since I've had a book out. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Does it feel exciting? It's, it, I feel like a newbie all over again. It's like, oh, the the nerves and the and I, I've forgotten a lot of the process of what it takes to put a book out into the world. So I, it's almost like relearning it. Has a lot of it changed since COVID and everything going virtual or is it kind of similar? It's very different. This kind of thing didn't exist. I mean, when because it was, you know, the pandemic happened and a lot of this, this stuff went virtual. So it's been, a, that's, that in itself has been a learning process, not just for me, but for everyone. So I have so many questions for you. I don't think we're going to get through all of them, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. This, I loved this book. So it's, it's such a satisfying book and it takes you on so many journeys right up to the end. I loved it. It's a book featuring people who are basically a bunch of misfits and every single person has a deeper story, just like all of us. What drew what what made you want to write about these characters? I had um, an idea that the main character would be a young woman and she would be basically on her own for the first time. And I like the idea of almost a Melrose Place, you know, encapsulated uh, condo setting where you have a bunch of different people forced to interact, and and uh, that was um that that's first what brought it to mind um for me in terms of misfits but i think they grew out of the setting of this weird island this um odd place this place of 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 southern stories and ghosts and food and how they are misfits but they find their tribe they find where they belong with other people who think they don't belong either. And I, and I think that is a universal truth for us all. Yeah, it's true. Um, Zoe is a character, the main person that we're talking about. Um, and she, I love her because she just finds goodness in everyone, even those who don't seem like they have it in them. She just has such hope for everybody. Ooh, did anyone inspire this character for you? I think I think it comes from um well my niece is a teenager so she she was and and she has just started her freshman year in college and so she is roughly the same age as Zoe so I I did take some inspiration from her but I also um I can I can recall so clearly what it's like to be that age to be a teenager to be out in the world and to think that you are so grown up and yet you have no idea how much more you have to learn. And so I think her innocence comes from remembering what it's like to be 19. It was so cute to look back and be like, man, I think I used to have hope like that. <laughs> it was, she's such a refreshing character in that way. We all want to retain a little of that. And as we get older, we realize how much we don't. But I think, um, I don't know, like looking back at yearbooks, do you ever look back and go, 
wow, you know, what I thought I knew and what I didn't know. And you know, there's this, this big thing we always ask each, ask ourselves, if we could, would we go back? Would we go back and knowing what we know now, would we go back and change things? And I'm, I'm not sure I would. And it's, it's so interesting because it's also like, yeah, would you go back? But also, am I at all where I thought I would be? You know, is any of this expected? Is any of this a surprise? What is what is expected? Where am I totally somewhere different? It's such a cool thing to reflect back. It's true. There was something on Twitter a while back where there was a hashtag tweet your 16-year-old self. What would you tell yourself at 16? <laughs> I wouldn't listen to myself if I if, at 16. So I don't <laughs> At one point in the book, Charlotte and Zoe are eating potato chip sandwiches because it reminds Zoe of her mom. Foods can bring up so many memories and food is such a theme throughout many of your books. Do you have go-to foods that bring you back to a certain time? Do you enjoy cooking or baking? Potato chip sandwiches remind me of my dad. And I oh, will really? still yes, I will still eat them from time to time. They have to be Lay's potato chips and they have to be on white bread. Two things I almost never have in my house. I am not a cook. I'm not a baker. I I mean, I can follow recipes, but I I don't find a lot of pleasure in in the preparation of food. I I love consuming food and I love the magical nature of food and how it can make you feel. But mostly I love how when um, food is given to you as a gift or, you know, if something is prepared for you, how it, it extends, it, it's, it's like an extension of the, of love. Um, and, and it always makes me think of my mom and how she was a big cook. And when she would cook, um, it, it was, it was food is love, but that, and for her food was love. And, and so I grew up with a mom who fed me and who showed me love through food. And I think that's how, that's why it ends up in so many of my books. Yeah. So there's a couple, tri- there's a tribute to each of your parents in this book. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's so nice. Speaking of your mother, in various acknowledgments in your book, you talk about you having breast cancer and your mother and sister passing away within days of each other. Is writing something that's cathartic for you? Do you feel compelled to write during hard times? When I had breast cancer, the past decade was, you know, one of a lot of change for me. I started 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I took some time off from writing when I was going through treatment. And um, I didn't write when I was going through treatment. It was, I mean, it was hard emotionally. It was also hard physically, um, but I couldn't wait to get back to writing because it was getting back to something normal for when I had breast cancer, I wanted to get back into writing. When my mom got so sick, she had um, a massive brain hemorrhage and it left her profoundly brain damaged. And I watched her die for four years and it was horrific. It was just such, it was a horrible time. And I fell into a very deep depression during this time. And I couldn't write. I just, I had no words. Um, And my mom died. My sister died 10 days before my mom died. And, you know, the thing about grief is I've learned that, you know, it's sort of like a boulder you carry on your back or your shoulder. And after a while, it gets smaller and smaller until it's the size of a pebble. And you put it in your pocket and you carry it around for the rest of your life. You still feel it. You still know it's there, but it's no longer that weight. And it, and it took me, it took time for me to come out of that. It took time for the grief to lessen. At some point I thought, 
I want to get back into writing. I, I need to do because I had started this book. I had started other birds before before my mom had her stroke, and I came back into it with an entirely different viewpoint. Because you know, no spoilers, but um, the, the ghosts in the book are maternal figures. They are mainly um, the mothers, um, and I had I'd known that before my mom's strokes. But um, and, and I set the book aside. And when I came back after she died, it, the book had an entirely different meaning for me. And I think it, I, it had so much more dimension to it. And it, it came from a much more heartfelt and, and place of experience than if I had written the book before all this happened. I think anybody who experiences something heavy comes back to the world just with a deeper sense of understanding of everything <laughs> and then almost more with more love almost to give. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering what, what books are, are going to look like or, you know, after COVID, after the, after the, you know, this big devastating thing that we has, has, um, you know, a planet went through, what is literature going to look like? What are books coming out right now? Do they reflect that? I, I've been curious about that. Yeah. I think a lot of self-help books. Yeah. <laughs> I am not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte and Zoe are similar in the fact that they don't really have anyone in their lives that they care about. No family or extremely close friends, but they come at it so differently. Charlotte's very guarded and suspicious of everyone. And Zoe just wants someone to love and runs to everyone with open arms, as as we talked about. Do you relate to either of those characters or, or is there one, do you kind of have both? I am a little more guarded. Um, as as Charlotte is, yeah, I just love both those characters, and I just loved how much they really got along and really kind of helped each other bloom a little bit. And you know, I think they Charlotte had such an effect on Zoe, just being a little bit older and being very cool and kind of a little bit of a role model. But I think that Zoe had an effect on Charlotte in the sense of like, oh, I can be more open. Maybe I can become friends with people and not have to run everywhere. And it was a very lovely um, arc of their friendship to watch in this book. Oh, thank you. And I think that goes back to actually you know, being forced together in this, you know, sort of small condo setting that they would have never gravitated to each other other if they hadn't been neighbors. The condo is such a character in the book in its own right. And I found myself really just being so charmed by it and wishing I could live in a place like it and picturing what it looked like in my mind and picturing the patio that Charlotte talked about and how the apartments maybe were and where Lucy was watching. And, um, and then if I kind of would have been maybe a little bit mad if they had to put up a gate and all that kind of stuff, but was this based on a place or just something that, I mean, I know you said Melrose place, but other than that, I mean, is there a place in, in the Carolinas that is like this or is it just a dream? It's just a dream. I think I, I, was when I when I saw it in my head, I I I I saw it as that horseshoe shaped and that horseshoe shape. And um so I remember looking up online, seeing if if anyone anywhere had converted stables into places to live. And I and I did find some place in England in which it was just a single sort of um almost like an Airbnb. Uh, and it had that sort of cobblestone look to it. And so I think that's with that's how the exterior formed in my head. It was just so sweet. And I love, um, you know, it was a little off beaten path. It was just like mm-hmm. one of the most ideal places I could ever think to live. And it was very interesting, you know, after, I know I shouldn't say spoilers, but after someone leaves the, the area, if you will, the condos, there's a heaviness that goes away. 
Um, and everybody feels, you know, that's kind of when people start coming out and everybody just feels so much more able to be themselves and make friends. And I thought that was such an interesting thing to have a person who's so heavy over everybody. And I think that if anyone's ever lived in a condo or an apartment like setting, they know that there is there is that one person, the one person who's always looking out the curtains or always yelling at kids for screaming or, you know, there is, I think everyone knows that person. Yeah, we do. I live in an apartment and yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't know them, then you are that person. Oops. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's just, she was such a great character. I mean, all of them are great characters, but just such a, such quirky characters. And I, I, I love them all. Oh, thank you. And in fact, at one point, Fraser says, I don't, to, to Zoe, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be an other bird than just the same old thing. This is so wonderfully sums up the characters in your book and is something I related to very much. I consider myself an other bird. I think my friends and I are other birds. Do you have other birds? Are you an other bird? Do you want to be an other bird? I'm definitely an other bird. I've been an other bird all my life. And it's, it's you know, going back to that sense of belonging when we find our flock, you know, it's, it's such a great feeling, but it doesn't mean that um, we've found people who are exactly like us. We find people with whom we can be ourselves. It's finding the person who loves you just as you are. And in fact, I think that's a quote from the book too. If you don't, if if the people around you don't love you just as you are, find new people. They're out there. Yes, that was um, one of the things I wrote down too. I I that's one of the best pieces of advice. And I, I said I wanted to frame it and shout it out to everybody. <laughs> I kind of want to get it tattooed on me <laughs> because I think that there are so many people, especially when you're Zoe's age, you know, and and quite young, that you do feel like you're with, you're generally in the same town and, you know, uh, maybe like-minded people and you can't really see where things are different or people could think differently than anyone that you're around. And it's, it is such a wonderful piece of of advice of just like, go find new people. It may not be exactly where you are in this moment or in this place, but there's people out there for everybody. And isn't that such a wonderful thing to hear? It is. And I wish I wish someone, well, I, you know, I, I say I wish someone had told me that when I was younger, but I wouldn't have listened. I wouldn't have believed it. You know, I think it just comes from experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also comes from the right person telling you. Absolutely. right. You know, I think the person that told Zoe was so formative in her life that it was someone that she would have listened to. I agree. Like if depending, like if my mom had said it to me, I've been like, oh, <laughs> you know, or a couple of my friends have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's it's it doesn't ring true until it's someone that you ring true with. Right. Or if you read it in a book, you have that passage that you you underline or that, you know, that you will earmark, you know, and you keep that book forever and you go back to that. And books can be trusted sources. That yeah. Way. Fiction yeah. can be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, you are leading me right to all my questions. <laughs> Um, when Zoe worked at the bookstore, she had been fascinated to see what passages customers marked when they brought them back in. And um, she had actually said it was a crime to forget passages like this. So beautiful. They made you breathless. And I loved that because there's so many books that I read, you know, where I, I don't underline them, but I fold the pages and I think about writing them down or perhaps getting them framed or, you know, kind of focusing on them for a while. And then I kind of forget that I, you know, dog-eared the page. How do, do you have a way, how do you figure out which passages are important and how to remember them? 
Oh wow! Well, it, it's for me, it's harder on an ebook than it is in a in a physical book. Um, I, I I still buy a lot of either paper books. Um, I have a notebook somewhere. And if, at one point I did, I, I would write down passages that, I, and, and, and fairly recently too, um, as of last year or year before last, um, I had a notebook and I would write down passages, but I, I would also write down words I didn't know and, and write out the definition of them. But the problem with the problem with having a notebook somewhere is that it gets put in a drawer. And, you know, I think, I don't know, we can't remember everything. We can't retain everything. And maybe it just comes at a time in our lives where it's meant to come, you know, a perfect quote or, or you know, something that resonates with you. And maybe you're not supposed to retain it. Maybe it's supposed to just be there at that moment. And then you move on and then something else magical happens. I guess that's true. And then you also might remember the book, maybe not the passage. I could be like, I love that book. And then it will bring you to it or pass it along to other people so that they might find their own passage that they like. Right. And it's almost like the, the saying that goes, you'll not always remember what people say, but you'll remember how they made you feel. I think books are the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I do love um, Zoe's fascination with the book, the two books and the author, Roscoe Avanger, in this book. Um, and I just love kind of the little... A scavenger hunt, you know, that, that she goes through in, in Elizabeth's apartment and just looking for this and how those, the love of that book or the, the curiosity of that book led to so many different things too. Um, I just, thought every single thing, the person and all of the things in the book were such wonderful characters. And that scavenger hunt was just so cool. And was that book based on anything? Other Birds has a book within it called Sweet Mallow. And it, so it was a book within a book. And, and I tried to make it sort of a metafictional Sweet Mallow. Some elements of Sweet Mallow actually um, are mirrored in Other Birds itself. So the book within the book. But Sweet Mallow was a to kill a mockingbird kind of book. It was about the Old South and race relations. And it, and it was that one big book by this writer that everyone knew. And then he didn't write anything else that anyone knew of. Um, so um, the book within the book, The Sweet Mile, it, it was based on um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which is that one makes, of my favorite books. Oh, me too. I haven't read it in so long. I need to go back and reread it. It is such it is. a great book. Yeah, absolutely. Another question I have for you is, speaking of Lisbeth, when they were looking for her stories, when they were cleaning out her apartment, Charlotte and Zoe, they realized they may never find them. And Charlotte says to Zoe that maybe some stories aren't meant to be told. And Zoe is very uneasy with that and says, what happens to them? Where do they go? If you never share your stories with at least one other person, does that mean they weren't real? That they never really existed? How do you feel about that as a writer? Because you write fiction, so you're not writing your stories. Um, but you wrote this very profound statement about one's stories being shared and do they exist if they're not shared? So what is that like as a fiction writer to maybe include stories of your own or are they fully, fully made up? I've always said that the fiction is always sort of a smoky mirror uh, of of the author. They're, they're not, um, they don't always have to do with the author's life, but I think they have to do with the author's experience. But I think in that particular quote, I was thinking of, um, not only fiction, but family stories of, of um, if you don't tell the next generation um, the stories of your family or, uh, or what that picture meant or, you know, who, who this great aunt was, um, 
it's lost. Who else knows? And having to clean out my mom's um, house, um, particularly without my sister, because, you know, I only had one sibling was my sister. And, and there was something we we were supposed to do together. And it was something, uh, <laughs> my mom's belongings, there were some things that only Sydney, my sister and I would know. And now there's only me. And it, it's become this, I need to tell my niece, my sister's daughter, um, the one who just started college, um, I need to tell her these stories. And so... Um, I think that particular quote is not only about fiction, it's about family stories. Yeah, it's so interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot, a lot too, because um, I, I don't have children. My I have a niece. Um, and like, where, yeah, where do those families, family stories go? Where do the heirlooms go? If you don't have that um, next generation, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. So it's, it's lovely to be able to write family into books and, and, you know, have someone to share that stuff with. Right. I love the idea of people we've lost staying with us after they pass. Um, do you have any, do you feel your mom and sister around do you? Do you believe in that? I know you write about it, but do you personally believe in that? Do you feel them around you? Oh, I sincerely wish that I did. Um, I, I know that they're here because I think of them all the time and I talk to them, but um, I don't even dream about them. I, I, I wish I, I wish I, I, I did, but um, I think that element of the book is definitely um, wish fulfillment for me. Something I wish was true. Yeah, interesting. It's funny. I had a friend pass away and um, a few years ago, and my, I have a friend that dreams about her. And I'm always like, she never comes to visit me in my <gasps> dreams. You're so lucky. Why does she come visit you? <laughs> I, so, I yeah. absolutely understand the wishing <laughs> Yes. Yes. Does your niece feel her? Like, does anybody in your family, do you believe in that? You know, surprisingly, my dad um, was a writer and my niece also likes to write. But aside from just talking about them to each other, all three of us, we haven't had any sort of, we smell them or they were here or there was a draft that went by or you know, maybe was there a glitter in the side of the room? Not, we've never had that. I think, ah, I, I absolutely believe there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of things we can't explain in real life. Um, but for me, I, I they are, um, they are somewhere else. I know that they are, they, they are not gone. I just can't see them. I can't feel them right, right now. Right. But you're right. We have the memories, you have their things, you have the stories that we get to share about them. And, and the more stories I tell, the more she will live on for generations, my mom. Absolutely. And that's true too, where, you know, it's, it doesn't always have to be written down. It can just be shared and there might be a funny story that you remember and tell somebody else. And then they'll be like, oh, this reminds me of this funny story that someone told me and they can get passed around that way too. And that's a lovely way to keep people's right. memories as well. Right. Going back to Charlotte, um, another thing that she says in the book is, we all want to think we're worth the trouble. And I thought that was so interesting because she's such a guarded character and, you know, she is very sensitive and she does have a tumultuous upbringing and we don't get to see so much about her and she doesn't let her friends see so much about her. But I thought that was such a kind of opening to her personality and her where it shows to me kind of what she actually wants, but is afraid to say. And I'm a very guarded person too. So I, that, that very much rang true with me, but can you just speak to, to that part? 
I think she comes from a place where she had to protect herself. I mean, I, I think there are there are people, the children who who um, are not given what they need growing up, and they, so they um, come to not expect it from anyone, even as an adult. It is a human condition to um, want to share, to be with, to um, to be understood. And although she thinks that what she's doing is actually protecting herself, it's actually making her more unhappy. And so um, I think that she just needed the right person or right people to come into her life to see to to tell her to show her you know what the world isn't all bad and it's not full of bad people um trust us because the characters are all so different from each other and they're all so strong there do you have a favorite one is that like picking a favorite child well it is sometimes but i know for sure in other birds one of the ghosts camille is probably my favorite character. She reminds me of my mom, especially in her way of thinking that food is love, that you it's 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 extending to another person um affection. And just the way um she sticks around because um the person uh, Mac needs her. Um she's she she is completely willing to you know sort of settle in the in-between because that's what he needs and I think that it's such a mother it's such a unconditional love kind of thing to do um I think she is my favorite character and she says some of my favorite lines in the book too she does. And she is such a great character. And she's someone who I just could picture and, and just imagined exactly like the neighborhood woman that she was and just taking all of her babies in and, yes. you know, just always had an open door and every neighborhood has one of the uh, apartment buildings have one of those too. <laughs> they, they have the other one, but they have one of those too. <laughs> and, you know, we all know that person and, and they are just so lovely. And I kept wanting to like, I wish I could get a hug from Camille. She seems like she'd give such great hugs and, and um, just the way that Mac really loved her and the way she took Mac in and she's lovely. One of the things that was the, that you brought up was the the ghost, the Camille and the people who are, are with them. It was so interesting to me because they weren't, it's not like they weren't ready to go necessarily. It was that the people wouldn't let them go yet. And some of them wanted to go and some of them wanted to stay forever, but that was such an interesting concept. Can you speak to that? One of the ghosts, you know, does not want to leave and, and um, the others um, don't necessarily want to leave, but they stay for the people who love them, who still need them. I like the idea of that our personalities are still our personalities, even after we pass away that we're still learning stuff after we pass away, that I don't know that there is any truth to that, but I've liked exploring the idea that even after death, there's one character in particular who learns so much about not only herself, but the people around her, so that when this person does pass on, she has learned something she didn't learn in life. And I, I thought that was a fascinating concept. Absolutely. And I also loved how they were almost looking out for each other too. You know, like she says, I have to go. I, you know, I thought that was so clever. But they can see each other. The ghosts can see each other. And of course, you know, they, uh, 
Camille as the ghost still wants to mother people and tell them what to do and, and tell them this is the thing you should do. And this is my experience. Let me help you. That she's still that. And, and she's, um, I, I like the idea that they could see each other, that, that the rest of, of course, the characters couldn't, but there was, uh, the ghost stories are the only parts of the book that are told in first person. They, they speak directly to the reader. Yeah, it was so interesting. And I didn't think about this till just now, but it, the people that they leave behind who are in the um, condo are learning from each other and they kind of save each other almost. And they come together as a group. And then the ghosts do that too in the same way where they kind of save each other in that sense. And they look out for each other and like, okay, we got to go now. And it, it, that's a very interesting concept. That's true. That's true. Because two of them too do leave together. Yeah. Your books are very lighthearted. They have some depth and, and heaviness to them, of course, but they're very lighthearted. Do you like to read thrillers or do you like to continue to read romance? I read all sorts and all kinds. I, I do like a good mystery and I, I do. I just read or just started reading, I haven't finished, Susan Cain's um, Bittersweet, which I, I, I really like. It, it, it sort of touches on this idea of sadness as a superpower. I kind of like that. Um, I think I am... Um, I, I I never read anything. Um, I didn't know magical realism was a was a genre. I didn't know it existed until I, I until I was in college, and we studied it. And I re- I remember so clearly the first book of magical realism I, I I read was The Passion by Jeanette Winterson. It opened my world. I didn't know anything like that existed. Um, and uh, I remember reading. Um, Fred Chapel. Um, he's a he's a fellow North Carolina writer, and he wrote um, "I Am One of You Forever." And um, one of my college courses, we we read this book, and it, that was my first exposure to Southern uh, to magical realism in a Southern setting. And so um, that was that was another eye opener. And I, I I don't think it was until I read, and this was sometime after college, I read Alice Hoffman's Practical Magic, and she took magical realism and she put it in a romantic setting. And I've, I've read romances since I was a teen, you know, I've, I've always loved them. And so I think those, that, that Trinity, those three books had the most profound effect on who I became as a writer later in life. That's so fascinating. So would you have even had, like, did you just not know that magical realism was a genre or did you not even think to write in that way? And this is what opened up your mind to that. It's true. I'd never thought to write in that way. And then I didn't, you know, I'd never read anything like it. And, and I didn't start writing it until, you know, much later. And I was in my 30s when Garden Spells was my first book, uh, my first mainstream novel was published. I'd written a romance before then. I decided to say, you know what, I'm going to write like who I am as a reader. And who I am as a reader is not just, I don't just read one thing. I read a whole bunch of things. And I think that is... And I found my voice that way. I found um, that's why my novels always have these little, you know, romance and Southern fiction and foodie lit and magical realism. They have different veins in them. But sometimes it makes it a little hard to categorize. Um, but it's just that it is who I am as a reader. I love that. Um, in this book, you also drop several bombshells <laughs> that keep you guessing until the very end. Not even guessing. You don't you you don't even think you're trying to figure anything out, and then something happens, and you're like, "Pow! That's amazing! How did she do that? Is that fun for you to write? Do you think about that at the beginning, or as you're writing, are you like, "Oh, let's go on this journey"? It surprises me as well. I, I never know what the magical elements of, of the book are when I start writing. Um, I'm 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 such a pantser when I when I when I write. I I wish. I was more of a plotter, but 
Um, some of the elements surprise me as well. Um, I knew going in the, the big reveal at the very end, I knew. Um, but there were there were other other parts to it um, that I that I only figured out later on in the process of writing, and I had to go back and actually put in sort of Easter eggs or, or little um, clues leading up to it because I didn't figure it out. I didn't know that was going to be an aspect of the book until I had written three-fourths of the book. So it is an inefficient and frustrating way to write, but I can't write any other way. That's so interesting. So your writing process is not to have an outline and know exactly. You just kind of go, what is your writing process? It, it is um, a lot of panic and a lot of <laughs> frustration and emotional eating. Um, it, it starts out with an idea and it's normally, I know the setting. I have to have that in place because it's, uh, it, in all my books, it's almost a character in itself. I've never you know written a book in a real place. It, it, so I have to come up with it. And almost everything else grows from that, that seed, that, that sense of place. I normally have the names. Zoe's name was completely different. I changed it after I wrote the book, um, I, but I normally have the names in place. And then I just see what happens. And it's it's a lot of deleting and a lot of, oh my gosh, I've spent all that time writing on and it's not what works, but I plot as I write. I can't plot before I write. I think that's so interesting. And I think it gives lots of us tons of hope because <laughs> there's so many, you know, it's so, because I, I panic when I have to write for anything and I'm not even a writer. So I mean, you know, so many authors like, oh, I, I outline it and I do this and I know everything going into it. So I have to say it's very encouraging <laughs> to hear that that's your process. Truly, that's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's so intimidating when, when, when some rise. And I know it's almost a must when it comes to the mystery writers being interviewed. I think that has to be a part of their process because it is so intricate and it's so important to the plot that I think mystery writers might be the plotters of the universe. That makes them sound like they're plotting to overthrow the universe, but I mean, they, they plot, but um, um, I think for the rest of us, there are a lot of pantsers out there. Yeah, pantsers unite. <laughs> so do you give yourself a schedule or, I mean, do you have a place or is it really just the overall thing is winging it completely? Uh, it's, um, I, well, when I first started writing, I wrote well into the night. I was such a night owl. And then, you know, I got older and then I, I, it, I sort of tr started treating it as, you know, a day job. This, these are, this is when I write and these are the amount of hours I write. I try to set a word count, but I, I set myself up for failure when I do that. It, it is, I write what I write and leave for the day and then come back to it. And either I delete or I add on to it. Um, I think that just the point is uh, the to get your butt in a chair and just do a little at a time is never to let your don't go fallow. Don't go. Don't let um, you know huge amounts of time pass or it gets really hard to get back into it. I do. Um, I, I write in my I have an office, my home office here. I've heard many writers say that is the first step to writing is just write. And I think that that's what's overwhelming too, is I have these ideas and how do I even get them? And I could never just sit and I'm not an author, I'm not a writer, but it's true. You can't do it until you write. That's right. And, and I, I've often said that I'm not a great writer, but I'm a pretty good rewriter. Whatever, when I put something right down onto the page, it's never good. It never just flows out in this beautiful, melodic, sort of poetic way. 
um, I go back to it and I insert this or I make that atmospheric and I and I find the perfect word, but it, it never comes out beautiful. <laughs> you have to make it beautiful. Yeah. And that takes work. Yeah. And about how long does it take to write books? The process has gotten longer and longer. My first book, Garden Spells. I, I remember writing that book. I, I think I wrote it straight. It was four months and then about two months of rewrites. And so that is the quickest book I've ever, ever written. And slowly but surely, they've gotten, it's taken longer and longer to write them. And I'm not sure why, unless it is because the first book was written without it being, you know, a job or, you know, the promotion wise or, you know, the, the even social media, when I was writing Garden Spells, it wasn't as huge as it is now. There are so many things that divide my attention that have to do with work. So that might be part of it. Yeah, there was no pressure. You just got to write for pleasure, basically. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. it's. I mean, success is wonderful, but also a little intimidating, I can oh imagine. My gosh. <laughs> I was miserable when Garden Spells was first published. I had no idea what I was doing. I just, I was such a fish out of water. So interesting. That kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation where what would you, what would you tell your 16 year old self, but what would you tell yourself after writing that first book? Oh my gosh. I would tell myself to calm down. (laughs) This is the the best thing that's happened to work so hard for this. And, and you are going to, you know, I gained so much weight um, after, you know, with the first few books just eating my way through my emotions. And, you know, I, I, I've often said that um, after, uh, after I was diagnosed with cancer and went through that, that, that journey, that what I learned was um, <laughs> that, you know, a deadline is not the end of the world. I have looked at the end of the world and it is not a deadline. Stop stressing out so much about it. Just do your work, get it done and try to enjoy it. I wish I had told myself that. I wouldn't have believed myself, but I, I, I wish I had. I wish I had known that. Yeah, you needed someone like Kello to tell you. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's kind of also what I was saying too. With where going through that stuff gives you such depth, and I do think that when you approach work or approach whatever, it's a different level of stress. I mean, you take things very importantly and very seriously, but you can also just be like, "This is not life threatening. This is I will get it done when I get it done." I will do the very best I can. I'm not worried about it. That's exactly right. And it, 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 is, it is so hard on your body, that amount of stress. I mean, it is just not good for your health to stress that much. And I have, I have worked so hard to get to the point where I am telling myself, calm down. You know, this is, you know, because you know, my brain will tell me that it's, horrible that it's that, that that something is wrong and it's not and it's it's this constant argument that I have with myself that the world is not ending <laughs> and my brain is going yes it is yes, yes, yes. I think that's something we all struggle with though and it's um you're a very refreshing author to hear from truly <laughs> with your writing process and it's true like don't with we all have that don't stress don't stress don't stress anxiety anxiety but it's true it's not the end of the world. We will all be okay. Just work hard and get it done when you can. That's right. That's right. Lay off the sugar. Yeah. Don't, don't eat 16 candy bars just because you think this scene isn't working. Yes, there's always time for rewrites. Yes. 
Speaking of rewrites, so what's next for you after Other Birds? What, what can we look forward to? It's been a it's been a very comforting process knowing that I am you know back on a schedule of you know this book is finished. I'm writing a new one, and um, I, uh, I I don't even really have a title for it. I've been calling it Buttertown because that's where it's set. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's I don't think that's going to be the title, but um, it's a sister book, um, and um, it is it's set in a in North Carolina um, during the wettest year on record. So a lot of rain is happening in this book, and I actually started writing it last year when uh, we had a, a a very rainy summer um, into fall, and um, tropical storm Fred came through Western North Carolina, where I am, and, and, and did a lot of damage, including it completely flooded my office. And so um, part of that aspect of a very rainy atmosphere in which secrets are uncovered <laughs> during the rain. Um, and that's where I am right now. I don't know anything else. I don't know how it ends. <laughs> that's true. I, I guess that was a trick question that I didn't realize, but yeah, you wouldn't know how it ended. <laughs> Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a blast. The Other Birds comes out um, at the end of August. It's our September book club pick by Sarah Addison Allen. Good luck. Happy pub date. Um, Good luck on your book tour and anything that might be coming your way. And um, don't stress so much when you write the next one. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off, where we recommend books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of Other Birds. I'm Mark. And I'm Becky. And uh, we are coming to you from our Barnes & Noble in Cincinnati, Ohio. We've got a couple of great books to go over. Becky, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right in. Thank you. You know I've been waiting to talk (laughs) about this book. Uh, This is a book that's permanently in my top five of of all-time favorite novels uh, that rotates daily depending on my mood. But this book is always on that list. And it is The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. I love this book so much. Um, This is a story of memory, of magic, and that perfectly captured feeling of childhood fear and figuring out that uh, grownups don't always tell the truth and your home isn't always safe. Uh, this book follows an older gentleman who is returning to his childhood stomping grounds just for a visit. And while there, he remembers a period in his childhood when something very dark and sinister invades the safety of his home. At the same time, it's also when something bright and magical and magnificent enters his life and shows him how to face that darkness. I read this book in one sitting. Uh, I, Finished it, immediately started on page one again with tears in my eyes and read it a second time all the way through. That's never happened to me for a book. And it's a title that I try to read every couple of years now. Um, It just puts me in a beautiful place. And I think that nostalgia can be a very dangerous thing, but it can also be a very wonderful thing. And in Neil Gaiman's hands, um, this book gives you the perfect blend of both. I love this book so much. Please, please check out The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Becky, do you have one for us? I do. Um, so uh, in thinking about a book to recommend with uh, 
to go along with something new by Sarah Addison Allen, I actually went with something old by her. Um, oh. Her debut book, Garden Spells. Oh, great. Oh, this is a beautiful book. Uh, think Practical Magic and the movie Simply Irresistible. That's kind of a combo. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's what this book is. It is just, it's such a charming escapist uh, story. Basically, it follows two sisters, Claire and Sydney, and they are part of a long line of caretakers in uh, North Carolina who oversee this little magical garden. And um, Claire has stayed in their hometown, um, just again, following in that line uh, and doing what she's supposed to, but also using that magical garden to maybe give a little extra boost to her catering business. So definitely think Simply Irresistible in this, in that that magical little piece that's added in can, you know, it just infuses the food with those abilities to maybe keep a secret or see the future. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, Sydney has left town and uh, kind of left everything. And but then one day she pops back in and she's got a young daughter of her own. And that throws Claire's life into complete upheaval. Um, of course. Basically, then the, the sisters need to reconnect and come to terms with their past, their present, and then learning how to work together to kind of secure their future. This is just such an enchanting read. It's just one of those books you want to take with you on just a lovely day, sit out on a swing, have a nice glass of iced tea, and definitely snacks because this book will make you hungry. Um, <laughs> Sarah Addison Allen can describe food so well, you will have a few moments of, of mouth-watering. Um, so yeah, so anyway, definitely, definitely, if you haven't already, please pick up Garden Spells. Oh, such good picks. <laughs> I agree. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, that's all we've got for today. Thank you so much for tuning into Port Over. Please make sure to support us with a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. <laughs> I'm Mark. I'm Becky. And you can follow our home store at BN Westchester. Thanks so much again for tuning in. Happy reading, everybody. Bye. Bye. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.